Always start at the top. Instead of the biggest winner snub, who was the person or thing snubbed at the nomination phase that still pisses you off? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Michael B. Jordan, but at least there's always Creed 2, probably. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. Idris Elba for Beasts of No Nation, which I finally watched and was mildly impressed and super depressed by. I'm at Patches, and I'm still mourning Mistress America. I would love to have seen Greta Gerwig in there, but I would have even taken the score. Anything, please. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and all of my favorite films this year were definitely nominated for Best Picture and Best Director, so <laughs> I really can't think of you anything. love that populist I, film. I can't think of anything that was left off that I thought should have been included in those two categories. Nothing that was shot out of the space of the Oscar ceremony? No, nothing that went, you know, 0 for 6 at the Oscars last night. <laughs> oh, Mad Max. Yeah, Mad Max. No, the Oscars were uh, their their nomination process was absolutely flawless this year. So, as always, as always, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room 109 for Tuesday, March 1st, 2016. On this day, 1932, the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to scream, Katie's back, but now I'm depressed. No, I know, I am back. Have you helped I'm not the baby. Why is uh, that? Is that a movie? Did they make, they think they made a movie eons uh, okay. ago. This is related to nothing, but the Lindbergh baby does figure into J. Edgar. And Josh Lucas plays J- uh, plays Charles Lindbergh, Lindbergh baby. In that mo- no, he plays oh. Lindbergh baby. Obviously, he plays Charles Lindbergh in that movie, and he's great in it. And I said when I saw that Josh Lucas is going to win an Oscar eventually, and then everyone loved him in the end. So I'm just saying. I don't think he's staging a comeback. No, but I think if he, is. he played the Lindbergh baby, he was great in the men, but that movie was not exactly up for Oscar consideration. No, so. but I feel like I don't know. I feel like he's building the body of work that, like, four years from now, is going to get him a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Just Probably because crazy. stranger things have happened, such yeah. as Charles Lindbergh's baby being kidnapped. Indeed, <laughs> if that's possible, everything is. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get started this week, David, I hear we have some reviews. Do we need to? Oh, we got, a, we got a few winners this week. Uh, my personal favorite comes from Kyle B two one one two, who gives us one star, our seventh one star review. Mm. Says unchallenged political opinions. The hosts toss out their political opinions as fact, without rebuttal or even basic self awareness of their bias. It's particularly off putting when these opinion dwell on U.S. political parties. Really, if they're willing to write off half their audience, they deserve ones from half their audience. This is Here's directly time. for me talking about how I'm buying less Marvel comics because they donated money to Donald Trump. Well, wait, I you mean, don't think it has something to do with putting the quote from Fox News at the beginning of the other episode? Uh, you know, maybe. I have a few things to say about this. One, I, I hate to uh, blow Kyle B2112's mind here, but I do not think that half of our audience is made up of Republicans. <laughs> or Donald Trump. <laughs> just, or, yeah, just no, see, that's what you're underestimating. It is half Republicans. I, I wouldn't you don't want to know how we courted them. Greater percentage than I thought of Republicans, but I would hesitate to say that it's anywhere approaching half. Second of all, I don't think self-awareness of our liberal bias is the problem. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. Uh, Make film podcasting. We are now event. graduating to a two-star review. Mm, <laughs> All right. right. Ed Yed said, Dave Seven, probably the best thing about this. Right. The topics discussed are interesting more often than not, and the hosts are definitely pa- passionate fans of stuff. But only Dave Seven, he's great and pretty endearing, seems to not have his head stuck up his own arse. They offer intellectually sound opinions, but charmless takes on art that I have to turn off. Almost like the guys who criticizes everyone in the room so he can feel superior. Just gross. Seriously, I bet Patches goes to bed listening to recordings of his own voice, <laughs> drooling in satisfaction. Or maybe it was the other guy? Anyway. I think it was the other guy. On the upside, the intro to the podcast is one of my favorites. Clever. Too bad the actual conversations are so bleh. 
And I, then we really, the we are starter. into we're, we are into stuff, but specifically mm-hmm. Larry Cohen's stuff. And, and finally, uh, I, we do have a five star review this week. Hey, one that I, I, I think takes aim at one of us, and I'm willing to bet I know who it is. The Clement says, "Great show. I'm very impressed with three of the hosts." <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Leaving us on our. Uh, oh, that's it. That's all we know. That's it. That's all we got. Oh, wow, interesting. The nice thing is we can all take that away and think better Not of ourselves. Me. We don't have I to do that. They are definitely like impressed this. by me. <laughs> I have no reason to believe otherwise. Well, the Lindbergh baby, huh? Yeah, yep. no. You let leave, leave us leave us leave us a review on iTunes, and obviously we will read it. And maybe we'll pick less depressing historical facts to start the show with. I don't know. I'm still imagining Josh Lucas using the little man technology to become the Lindbergh baby. That, that brings me right a smile. Well, speaking of the Oscars, the Oscars happened. Did you guys hear about them? Wait, right? is this the beginning of the next segment? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who needs, who needs breaks? Yeah, the Oscars totally Whew. did happen. I didn't even take a breath. Where are you I right know. now, Katie? I'm in Los Angeles, where the Oscars happened. Are you, you in a, are you in a hotel? Are you in an uh, Airbnb? A, I'm in a, a hotel in Los Angeles, the hotel that hosted the Weinstein Company's like, pre-Oscar night party, so it got really mm-hmm. weird on Saturday. Are you eating bonbons? Are you, are you Anne Hathaway in the intern? No, wait, I'm in very sad at that moment, sorry. She's very is sad it, at that moment. Is it like Night of Cups out there? <laughs> I don't know, I haven't seen Night of Cups yet, but probably. I'm are you wandering it. around the room thinking about your childhood? Thinking Probably. about all the women you've had sex with, but how empty the experience has left you. Yeah, that's actually exactly what all has been Spoilish. like. Listen, we're talking about my experience later. Let's talk about the Oscars that we all watched on the television. Yes. Although, I was watching it in a room that didn't have sound for the first ten minutes, so I missed most of Chris Rock's monologue on oh, that wow. coke, guys. That, was, like that, that was, was a great part of it. That's... I know, so I need you guys to fill me in. I watched all of the Oscars except the one part everyone liked. So Actually, based on hot takes that I've been reading, some people loved it. or Everyone seemed to love it in the moment, and then the next morning everyone hated it. But we might <laughs> be back around loving it again. Well, I, I thought that I think a lot of the bits that people seem not to have enjoyed were not necessarily in the monologue, but sort of continuations of the monologue that popped up later in the show. The, namely the, the, the Asian joke. The right? Asian kids was a wild miscalculation yeah, um, and it was also uh, as i learned i wrote i had to write a news story for work about the bit that he did at the finger quotes compton movie theater Wait, uh, was it not actually in compton yes i received an email from the pr company that manages the mall uh, where the actual theater is which is in the ritzier baldwin hills neighborhood of la uh, and this became i'm assuming i was not the only person who received this email it quickly became common knowledge, uh, if it wasn't apparent to people who live in Los Angeles already, that they didn't actually go to Compton. And that just seems like, it, it, to, for a lot of people, it seemed to sort of typify the half measure uh, that the tone of the show sort of embodied. So you were not a fan in general, David? Me? Uh, yeah. I have no opinion one way or the other. <laughs> I, I thought that... Um, David does not feel humor? He will no. not laugh. <laughs> it was more Try your jokes on him. He is too hard. It was more or less exactly what I thought it was going to be. There was one joke. I can't remember what it was uh, in, the, uh, in the monologue that I remember finding very funny. But I, I was not entirely surprised to hear Chris Rock go on and talk about raping and lynching and in the context that he did. You get awkward cutaways of Matt Damon. And, like, you know, this is what everybody signed up for. Um, I, I yeah, I mean, I thought some. I, you know, we started you were off expecting very, the raping and lynching jokes. I, I don't jokes know if I was ready or I, I was expecting have, it to go there, but I, I was pleased. I, I expected it to go there. I could not have, you know, identified exactly what the jokes would be, but I, I definitely expected it to go there. Um, I expected it to be provocative. Yes, uh, I. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was exactly. Exactly what I want. I was too mad at other choices the show made. Um, not in terms of the winners, because that's not up to the show, but uh, in terms of some of the presentation. Although I do want to give a special shout out before I see the floor to whoever's idea it was uh, to present the sound Oscars by highlighting the actual sound mixing. Yeah, sound that was Distinguishing great. what they do. Uh, not only was it clarifying to people in the audience to understand the difference between the two categories, but it was super cool to watch and to listen to and to uh, really feel the visceral impact of what these technicians and craftspeople Can I get the ticker do. version of David's explanation here? The ticker version? <laughs> no, the, Things the ticker David like. Sound. Hang on. I, David, you guys see the floor. 
Dave, what do you I think see. of the Oscars? Um, uh, I'll, I'll sum it up with a text that I sent to my girlfriend about halfway through. Oh, please do. Yes. I've mostly been liking it for how it's abandoned the ceremony feel for a late night with Chris Rock feel and how the audience kind of isn't into it. And so mm. for someone who doesn't like necessarily watching the ceremony when it's a whole bunch of people talking about sitting in the dark, watching color project stories into the, our imaginations, it was... Yeah, when it's a salute to cinema. Exactly. It was... Uh, the award presentations themselves went really good. I didn't mind how, you know, like it was directed with the actors and the having the vertical portraits around them and the presenter it sort of rotated oh, around them. Was that a talk nod to, to Emmanuel Lubezki? That was uh, some Talk to me about lighting. the ticker, Dave. Tell me how much you hated the ticker. I mean, I didn't mind the ticker. You I hated think, it. Well, see, the thing is that... It, <laughs> why, why, would I, why would I hate the ticker? Everyone hates the ticker sucks. I no, hate the ticker. Brett Ratner's uh, name was in the ticker like three times. That's the good news about the ticker. Whoa. It's a, I don't I don't I don't see I, th- I like the t- the idea of the ticker in like a different sort of context like for a different award show the idea of the ticker is goddamn brilliant if people could like get up there and like do a five minute stand up bit or whatnot but this Oscars was a weird Oscars to debut the ticker and then to have the Mad Max woman miss her ticker and then call out call it out like it wasn't working so then I think a lot of people just we went over their ticker so yeah it was horrible. Well, yeah, the idea is that, like, people know that an award speech is when you thank people. So, like, how yeah. are you spo- – what are you supposed to say if you're not, like, thanking specific people? And, like, if you don't thank your mom out loud, she's probably going to be mad at you. And their names are just racing by on the screen yeah. below. Um, that was really a, uh, you know, trial and error. Uh, that's the sort of thing that should really be tossed out in the Golden Globes, but like a practice run. thing is, it, I mean, it was shorter. It did work. Was it? I no, the Oscars so. are always the exact same length. They always end at midnight. No, it ended well after midnight. Well, I, I guess it, uh, it, it's the same length, but it felt swift to yeah, me. And well, swift. this for two reasons. One, I thought the pace it was well managed. It was poorly directed. I didn't really like any of the staging in the musical numbers, and I did not care for the Lubeski gliding cam in front of the actors, <laughs> like walking around stage, walk and talk. Very strange. Talk to me about the minions patches. <laughs> minions are coming. Yeah. Minions, oh, back man, to back minions and Toy Story. Uh, a little much, but they do that every time, right? There's always animated characters. Poppy. I thought the whole idea of like animated characters being on stage at the Oscars was like the novelty had worn off, and we weren't going to do that anymore. Well, wrong. Nope. <laughs> you were bad. sorely mistaken. As the technology improves, wrong. But I prefer BB-8 and C-3PO coming out, minus the Jacob Tremblay. Uh, Reaction shot. That's that's when the show lost me. Did you guys know that Jacob Tremblay likes Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, we, we noticed. Uh-huh. I, I liked how they added the uh, Andy Serkis is the greatest uh, motion capture performer in a category we'll never recognize montage before he came out. Yeah, the tribute that, to Andy Serkis was very surprising. Yeah, well, that moment is this show operating in, in a proficient way, right? It's like Here's a really quick nod to Andy Serkis and motion capture in a in a category that has been disputed about if motion capture is valid or not. And, but we don't have to spend like a five-minute montage. We don't have to cut away. We don't have to interrupt things. It felt really organic. And I think doing the show in the order of, uh, you know, from script to direction to sound and, and in the order that a movie is made, that was a very interesting choice. <laughs> what? <laughs> I agree with you uh, totally, and in theory, I thought that was a really neat idea. Uh, in execution, was nonsense. <laughs> when do you cast your best supporting actress patches? Yeah, supporting actress happens before sound design. Yeah. Nope, that's the actor order of how movies are made. I'm sorry to tell but you. The supporting actor comes way later. Stallone was actually cast after they wrapped shooting on Creek. <laughs> also, beyond my personal bias, that and, and you know. Uh, beyond the politics of of taking your one trans nominee in forty some odd years uh, and deciding that they shouldn't perform, but the weekend's weird S and M Fifty Shades of Great Things should. Uh, I and the fact that Anne Honey or formerly Anthony and the Johnsons uh, is one of my favorite musicians alive. Um, it's profoundly weird not to have all the best song nominees performed. You either have it one or really none. Weird. It's uh, it, it sends nothing but nasty signals. It's a devastatingly bad choice, particularly because it exacerbates every time-killing 
stupidity stupidity that you put in there. Like every Minions and every Toy Story celebrating really 20 getting under your skin. Uh, I mean, learning that World of Tomorrow lost from the Minions was, <laughs> was a real life ruiner. But, uh, um, you know, I think that all that stuff, it just grates that much more when you realize that you, you're cognizant of the things that should have been in the show but were omitted for time constraints. Yeah, the whole idea that, like, I don't know, I like, I would watch the Oscars for five hours, so I'm kind of a bad judge of this, but I hate it when they, like, try to rush things along, and then they rush the speeches along, because I really feel like the speeches are what you watch things for, even when they're from, like, the best documentary short winner, and especially when you're playing them off to Ride of the Valkyries, like, that oh. was... Yeah, multiple what? times, yeah. it was odd. And, yeah, like, the Holocaust film Oscar. was played off to Richard Wagner, who was, like, yeah. one of history's great anti-Semites. Like, <laughs> really could have thought that through like for another minute they were going for the think pieces on this one you know they really wanted to challenge it's just it's amazing to me how the oscars in a year where no award show has ever been as cognizant certainly you know uh no word the oscars have never been as cognizant of race and diversity and ethnicity and all these things identity politics uh, as they were this year and to still have as many glaring fuck-ups it was kind (laughs) of staggering well i think that helped it too like that they they didn't completely understand what the theme of the night was but that the oscars had a theme and a very organic built-in theme uh it made the show fun it obviously gave chris rock you know total control over what was going to be in the monologue it all made sense they weren't pulling things out of the their ass and he wasn't just grilling nominees for the sake of grilling nominees there was a purpose for this show um, and, and I think in years past, they've been like, okay, the theme of this Oscars is musicals. And it just fuck, it's like, yeah. fuck off. Stop. Yeah. That's, the thing That's when you get the tributes that never end. Yeah. What was the Girl Scout cookies thing? That was like that was, him. That was, like that was Ellen, his Ellen moment. Yeah. When Ellen ordered the pizza, it was just like to get the people in the crowd interacting. That was horrible. Did. Except Matt Damon was chowing down on Thin Mints. See, I think, it's, tomorrow. I think it's a really smart way to use your audience. Like, that was what Ellen did really well, is she took advantage of having all of these famous, charismatic people sitting right in front of her and letting us see them on the screen, because otherwise they're just sitting there the whole time. Like, I mean, the Girl Scouts is a whatever idea, but trying to incorporate the crowd, I think, is really smart. But Chris Rock could have gone in the audience and roasted them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean I think <laughs> it made like, it really awkward. I mean, there just there wasn't... Uh, the Oscars isn't necessarily the right forum for it. Uh, it doesn't have the same vibe as the Indie Spirit Awards or even the Golden Globes. But I was watching the Indie Spirit Awards, at least partially, on Saturday. And Kumail Nanjani and uh, Kate McKinnon did this great bit where uh, it, it ended up with... I mean, it was not particularly funny at first, but it went in such an unexpected direction uh, by interacting with the crowd. It ended up with her... It started with her as an Anomalisa Kickstarter backer and ended up with her, like, force-feeding ham into Paul Dano's mouth uh, while making out with him. Um, And that is the kind of audience interaction that uh, was more amusing than people giving us some sort of oblique understanding of them buying Thin Mints. I don't know. Well, I liked the bear joke. I'll say that. What was the bear joke? When they cut to the bear in the in the seats and he's clapping oh. for Leo and then they I'm, cut to Leo and Leo's like can I just get my fucking Oscar <laughs> get the hat I, lo- I, I, lo- I love how for all the talk about Leonardo DiCaprio he which I, mean, I have a whole rant saved up for that for another time oh but God. he his life changed not at all over the last 24 hours like yeah. he, he got up there got his trophy he gave an impassioned speech about uh, the protecting the environment, and then he went back to living the exact same existence. Are you kidding? His life is entirely different. He now has a golden statue that he could probably <laughs> use in his <laughs> Wow. I know. That is some sick shit, but it's probably true. Come on. Well, we're going to talk about who actually won the Oscars in a minute, so don't uh, don't worry. David's tears for Carol will still be, will still be shed. <laughs> what do you mean? Carol won all the Oscars. Carol <laughs> has always won the Oscars. Carol is Oscar. <laughs> Katie Rich. 
Yeah, that's how I want to be introduced all the time. I wanted to do it like you were at the Oscars, because this year yeah. you were at least in the vicinity of the Oscars. I was within miles of the Oscars, but so was most of Los Angeles. I was at the Vanity Fair Oscar party, because that is where I work. And and, f- and to, to build up to this segment, people should listen to Little Gold Men, despite the fact that it's uh, way ahead of us on the top 100 iTunes chart. So fuck it. But is there it, like a transcript they can read somewhere <laughs> instead? <laughs> don't give them the clicks. They can listen, uh, just don't don't leave a review. Yes, exactly. You, you guys did a great episode on the making of. The Vanity Fair party yeah. which might be a little masturbatory. It was, um, but it was still uh, insightful yeah, because it's a very important part of the Oscars. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's like this. It's this giant. I mean, it, it is a party. It is a giant party. It is still, you know, a party. It, everyone manages to come, which is really impressive. And the fact that like it's built itself up as kind of this legend over the years is why that still happens. And that's to the credit of the many people who have been at Vanity Fair far longer than I have. But it's also why it takes like. A village, like probably, I would say, at least half of my office is in Los Angeles right now, which is nuts. And all staying in the same hotel, and therefore you go to the restaurant and you see everyone you work with all the time. So how um, does it work? People are already there. Like John Hamm, who has nothing better to do than like booze up at the Vanity Fair party during the actual Oscars. So he sets up at like four p.m. Right. So there's a dinner that's during the Oscars. I think like, like Elton John has a viewing party. Like Spotlight had a viewing party. These these happen all over town because there are lots of people who are like notable but not at the Oscars. Like I don't know what the uh, the capacity of the Dolby Theater is, but there's plenty of people who don't go to the, the Oscars. The weirdest person who was at the Vanity Fair viewing. The party. weirdest person. Yeah. Oh, like Don Rickles was there. I don't know if that's Yeah. I, so I was, so it should be clear. I was not in the room for any of this viewing party. And then for in the most room. of the party itself, I was in room, um, AKA a fluorescent lit room in the building that's adjacent to where the party was. The party's kind of all built out in these big, huge tents, you know, not like a normal tent. Like they're on stilts. It's incredible. So you were not allowed into the party. I was, my credentials did not allow me into the party. Due to methods, I managed to get into the party later in the evening, thanks to some generous co-workers, to kind of see the room when, uh, when it was kind of winding down, which was great, because I was working the whole time. Like During the party, I'm there like taking the photos from the Getty and from the red carpet and from the Instagram portrait studio and kind of keeping the content on the site running. But at a certain point, it's 2 in the morning in L.A., and uh, five in the morning in New York, and nobody cares. So you, they let me go in the party. Can you tell me about the uh, some of those portraits are beautiful? Can you yeah. tell me about where that that portrait studio is set up and how it works? It's kind of like right. So you walk in. There's like it's all in these tents, and you walk in this like long room that has the red carpet in it or the green and white striped carpet, and then you kind of get into this huge space that's where the main party is, and kind of off to the side, like almost on your way to the bathroom, you've got this enclosed room where Mark Seliger, the photographer, has set up this portrait studio and he'll take your picture. And it's you know he's a very professional, you know, renowned photographer. So you get a chance to have by this very professional photographer and he turns them around pretty quickly so we post them on instagram the night up which is a big part of what my it job is, is was it available to the non-celebrities yeah i mean i think the line gets long and the idea for us is to get the celebrities in there but at the end of the night everyone i work with snuck in which is kind of so, nice so these celebrities are allowed to, to cut if you're holding an oscar yeah, you oh, get yeah. It first. so the whole the thing that i love learning this year is that they write down the names of all the Oscar winners. Like when you stand up and make your speech for best documentary short, they write down your name and your name is on the list. Like you show up with your Oscar, you get into that party. And really? so when I, when I got in there near the end of the night, like a lot of the big names had left, Leonardo DiCaprio left before I got in there, which broke my heart. Um, but like I talked to one of the visual effects guys from Ex Machina and he let me hold his Oscar and it was delightful. So was the nominees don't get into the, van- the Vanity Fair party. Some do, but not all. Not the documentary short. No. A, a nomination is not enough to guarantee entry, but a win is. Wow. Which I think is a really lovely tradition. Because those people, the people who win the Oscars, who like are then going to go back to their like non-movie star jobs, are just so happy to be there. And may I, have, may um, I venture to say that the same is true for the nominees? <laughs> the people, that all of them go back to their lives? Yeah, and that the, 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 the might even be more needed for I mean, uh, the people who fly out from wherever for their one night of... I'm sure there are parties for them to go to. I did. Uh, I did spend some time talking to a non-winning nominee, Drew Goddard, who is uh, the okay. writer of the fiction, who is a uh, who has been on this podcast, who's, friend, yeah, friend of the a, show, friend of the show, who I Hollywood you know, Elsewhere's own Drew Goddard, <laughs> probably the uh, the only person who was in the room who I didn't work with who I could walk up to and be like, "Hey, we know each other." Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was very fun. He told me about sitting next to the weekend and the actual Oscars and them consoling each other. 
after they both lost, which was pretty charming. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, I don't know. It's a really fascinating party to get to see from the inside. Like I missed out on the part where it's super crowded and everyone, every time you turn around, there's famous people. But I think my experience was pretty great too. Did you get to kiss Leo's ring? Or no, I, I told you he left by the time I got in there. Like oh, he apparently was just being mobbed by everyone in the room. Like, like Patricia Clarkson was like leaning over trying to like greet him and say hello. Wow. People, yeah, he was the he was by far the like big get. TMZ finally, was all over him. Finally, Leonardo DiCaprio gets some attention from the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> he has a long you, career ahead of him. You are bitter about Leonardo DiCaprio, huh? Me? No, I was. I have uh, one of Leonardo DiCaprio's longest serving. Fans, I was the one who was sort of up in arms that uh, I, I've I've been very put off by the idea that like Leo was desperate for an Oscar. That at some point people you say thirsty now, David. He was thirsty. thirsty. That we <laughs> twisted the idea of an actor using his clout to work with major filmmakers to make creatively ambitious films that really very few other people could finance was somehow twisted into being someone who was thirsty for an Oscar. I have found that entire line of thinking and the very brainless sort of cottage industry of jokes that have come up around it, the video game that someone made, and it ended all to be disgusting and, and represent the very worst of what the Oscars can do to the culture. Um, and uh, I'm glad that by winning one for one of his worst films that we can, well, it, it doesn't fix It all goes much. back to our Vanity Project discussion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so yeah, to, to, to wrap this up then, who were you, were, you got to go in the party at the very end, and I assume you were probably there. As as shop was closing, who was still there? Oh, okay. So Drew Goddard was there near the end of the night, as was Michael Giacchino, uh, oh. who was wearing a very charming top hat. Uh, Mark Rylance stuck around oh. very late, which was delightful. He was wearing his hat and carrying his Oscar in his hand. Um, and then a bunch of Oscar winners who I didn't recognize, who won in you know categories that you know, like the Ex Machina visual effects director who I t- talked to. So yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those people were kind of, uh, and I'm sure there were other people who I didn't spot. I think I saw Brie Larson Instagram a picture that suggests she was there fairly late, but I didn't see her. Was anyone more excited than the ex machina visual effects people? They were so happy because there's so many of them. There's like four of them once, so they kind of had like a big pack. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't see them all in a big group. Um, but yeah, there was a guy who was in the photo booth ahead of me who I didn't recognize who had an Oscar who kept like putting it back in with his friends so they could use it as a prop in the photo booth. Mm-hmm. I was kind of jealous. I should have just asked to use it. I need that and, for my wedding. And an Oscar is, uh, is way heavier than you think. Just like everybody says. I, yeah. I think I, I've heard that so many times now that I'm just expecting it to be like unliftable. Yeah, exactly. It's the sword and stone. And I'm just yeah. uh, anyone who's been able to lift one is, is chosen. It's Thor. That's the Thor reference we should make for the contemporary audience. Oh, yeah, there you go. It's, it's just like Thor's Thor. Yeah, so Alicia Vikander actually uh, has the strength of God. Mm, I, I believe that. Mjolnir. All right, for our last segment here, we're just going to talk about the Oscar winners, and we're going to do it uh, strategically. We're just going to talk about each category. So first off... In the off, order in which a film is made. <laughs> and all <laughs> great films with start with short I- films. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, now the, we're not going to go too deep on the short films, but David, I think you want to lament World of Tomorrow. Uh, you don't like Bear Story? Did you get to see Bear Story? <laughs> No, I didn't see goddamn bear. Oh, story. it's lovely. It's bear lovely. Story. It's about a sad bear and his sad life, and he builds a very sad contraption, and it and it's like a marionette puppet, and it plays. It's another bear. It's a bear inside of a bear. Dave would love it. Listen, mm-hmm. no, when I I told Dave about bear story, and I was like, I thought of you. And he's going to kill you. Obviously, the bear. It's the year of the bear. Come on, of course, bear story wins. It's a year uh, of the monkey. God damn it! <laughs> aside from Carol, and with the possible exception of. The look of silence. Let me be very clear about this. The world of tomorrow was, uh, or just world of tomorrow, I think it's cleaner, uh, is, uh, was far and away the best movie of any kind, nominated for an Oscar this year. It was uh, a, a truly disgusting thing to see it lose to any of the other nominees, sight unseen. It goes against everything I believe to trash these other short films that I didn't watch, and I'm sure they're all lovely, <laughs> but uh, it really is a Shonda, as Jordan Hoffman would say, and a shame the rest of us might that 
World's Mo didn't win. That Don Hertzfeld is now a two-time Oscar loser, as he uh, proudly boasts in his Twitter bio, updated today, sadly. His, um, he's working on a feature. He could he sneak into that category and lose, so there's hope yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, I think the Academy is not quite cool enough to roll with Don Hertzfeld, I'm no, afraid. I'm, uh, but that was well, really... Well, this is why we, it probably was not wise to get our hopes up that it would win. Well, see, place. but that's the thing, is that I... You know, Phyllis Nage was my other sort of like personal uh, nominee that I really wanted to win. But it was clear from all the precursor awards that she wasn't going to, um, that the big short was going to win that award. Um, And so as much as I would have loved to see Phyllis Nage win, I sort of accepted that it wouldn't happen. World of Tomorrow was as much of a front runner as anything. I think what probably ended up happening is that it split with the Pixar shorts, Sanjay's super team. Um, I don't, I don't really know, know if I buy that. Pixar shorts don't usually win. All right. Well, whatever the case might be, uh, this is uh, it was a tragedy. It was a real tragedy. Katie, you saw the other short films. Yeah. I've seen some of them. Um, uh, what uh, did you did you get that short? right on your predictions? Or? No, I, I got it real wrong, which is fascinating. Uh, the, the, of the live action shorts, I went with the one I predicted Shock, which is the one about Boys in Kosovo so during the yeah. war there, uh, which, you know, had all this gravitas in one. And then the absolute lightest and easiest to watch of the bunch won, which totally surprised me. Probably tells you something about what people are actually watching. Yeah, I think I that so. at, at 16 minutes uh, and confronting them with, you know, the finitude of their existence <laughs> on this mortal coil, <laughs> uh, World of Tomorrow may not have stood a chance. Let's see. Should I go to the country club or watch <laughs> Shok? Ford <laughs> <laughs> film about Kosovo. Yeah, well, but then the uh, you know the documentary shorts, like the one that has maybe the least amount of hope involved. One, the one about honor killings in Pakistan. So yeah. I don't know, man. I really don't know how to predict these categories. Obviously. Yeah, I, I watched them all and hope that quality could give me some insight. But alas, I picked Body Team Twelve. Olivia Wilde produced that movie about uh, Ebola. I, I watched that one. That was. Uh, I mean, it's not much of a of a film, but. The fact that it exists and the footage that it captures is I'd incredible. I'd watch a longer version of it. Yeah, if it were a little bit better shaped. But uh, it's tough to really present that story in however many minutes they have. Um, but that's a hell of a movie. Kudos to everyone who made it. What, what about uh, Best Four Language Film? Son of Saul was the obvious winner. It won. But uh, what... Could... <laughs> it was I mean, Katie's I, favorite film of the year. So I love Son of Saul. I was very excited to see it win. I also love saying so i would have been you know that was kind of like a possible up start winner at the end there but uh yeah i think the right movie won i've not seen the other so david did you see embrace of the serpent i did um i i I respected embrace the serpent quite a bit you can read my review on rolling stone uh i would not i was not particularly upset that it didn't win um i thought mustang was my personal favorite of this group um but and even though it had a really strong showing and had tremendous support from the people behind it over the last few months, uh, I think that Son of Saul had this in the bag since the Bermuda can. Um, I have very, very complicated feelings about Son of Saul that I will not go into now. But, <laughs> um, I think we unpack a little bit of that in our uh, top 10 episode if people yeah. wanted to hear that. Um, I, I read something really interesting from our colleague Dusty Husky, um, who said earlier today that in the four years since voting was opened up to the whole academy via screeners um, music documentaries have won three of the last four best documentary oscars i didn't realize that this was necessarily the case that the documentary branch i guess everyone now votes on best documentary i think you used to have to to attend a screening and sign a piece of paper right and and say that you've seen them all right yes exactly yeah Yeah. they should not have changed that That remember uh Yeah, it's really fucked up. I mean, remember that The Act of Killing lost to a musical doc 20 feet from stardom. Um, yeah. And while Which Amy... It's a long film, but... It's, it's an okay film. Amy is a stronger film uh, by a company, you know, A24. I'm, I was very happy to see them win their first three Oscars this year. Uh, three Oscars? In they won the three film. Oscars from zero to three. Uh, but I, it's a, a travesty that... <laughs> The uh, look of silence didn't win. That it was beat by another, if superior, music doc. Um, and I think that what patches the policy that you're citing is uh, this is sort of exhibits A and B yeah. of why it's a disaster. Uh, th- this is 
if any movie at the, you know, Carol, my favorite, so-and-so and so on and so on. But if any movie really needed to win an Oscar, if anyone really could have benefited from the platform that uh, it would have given Joshua Oppenheimer um, just to recognize his work over the past few years. I mean, here's a documentary filmmaker who can be rewarded for lifetime achievement already with two films in the bank. Uh, that was really that was really sad. I um I feel like I hear a lot of people talk about the the narratives of Oscars and the games that people are playing, you know, what goes into a decision of voters, you know, the mind games of of voting. Um and this is because I listen to Little Goldman, an awful podcast that's really high up on uh, iTunes. But um yeah, total bullshit. But there is a true narrative here and the statistic about like what people have to watch and what people aren't really watching. I think that's very true more and more and it's clearly hurting the winners here and i think we'll see in a few other categories but i really like amy but uh, the they should silence. Be, or even I mean, cartel land like and winter on fire these are great films these are really cartel is really great yeah. it's, they, you should have to have seen and to have proven that you've seen every film to vote for anything uh the oscars don't care about that that's not what they're about that's what they claim to be about but they would never dare to inconvenience their members to that degree um and uh it's one of the many reasons why nobody gives like well the oscars don't really mean shit i want to point out that you love them for all for those of us who are not oscar voters cartel land is on netflix what happened to simone winter and fire on netflix amy is on amazon the look of silence Silence is on netflix Mm -hmm. oh wow so yeah all of these are available for you to watch dave have you seen any of these uh all of them that are available to stream i managed to catch up on because my girlfriend's out of town Nice. Any uh, any favorites in the bunch? Uh, the Look of Silence was just as devastating as its predecessor, and I don't know. It seems weird that, like, an Oscars that could be so much about recognizing the fact that it doesn't have a lot of, you know, minority representation or minority stories in its nominees could then, like, turn around and be like, also Amy. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of, like, the winners panning out not in any way to uh, reflect diversity with what little they had to choose from. <laughs> well, next year. Dave, was it as de- uh, devastating as Inside Out, the best animated feature winner? Uh, I'm okay with that. Like I said on our top ten episode, I, I was a sucker for Inside Out. And after being sort of against Pixar since their bear movie beat one of my favorite <laughs> nominees. Um, what I- did it beat? Uh, beat Paranorman that year Ah, which was actually awarded a technical Oscar for their process they made Paranorman with this year which you know is some sort of like latent vindication but uh, I still think that was a better animated movie that year this year once again Pixar won out over a stop motion movie but Inside Out was really good and Animalisa was maybe just good for me Uh, so I totally I totally see where it went I liked Animalisa Anomalisa Animalisa Animalisa. I love Inside Out. The man is a bear. I didn't see any of the other ones, though. No? No. Boy in the World is quite touching. Sean the Sheep is adorable. I did not see when Marnie was there. David, did you catch that? Did I ever? I was at the uh, Studio Ghibli's last film for the foreseeable future. I I was there at the premiere, the North American premiere. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. I think Anomalisa is the best of those films, and yeah. I think Inside Out is not a very good movie, but I I uh, have a growing allergy to CG animation. Uh, leave Bing Bong so. alone. God, you're going to have a tough life growing allergy to CG animation. It's not going anywhere. Uh, Katie, there is no argument there. <laughs> um, but uh, There's no yeah. need to take the defeatist road here. I don't like most CG animation, but David, you're, but, you're wrong uh, about it being ugly all the time. And it is it is ugly all the time. And back also, to those Kung Fu Panda movies, they are they are beautiful films. Uh, but man, I I like cheered out, out, cheered out loud during the. I didn't realize at first that I was watching a trailer for the new Leica movie the other day for uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. That movie looks awesome. <laughs> that, movie looks <laughs> uh, that movie looks so fucking cool. Yeah, anyway. It's going to get marred in the whitewashing conversation. You can't... Uh, casting Matthew McConaughey is... Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't say it sounded great. Now did I? <laughs> I'm innocent. Uh, yeah. I'm going I'm to lump all of Mad Max's... Uh, technical wins into one big category is this uh i was surprised katie i was listening to you guys talk about the oscars and no one thought that mad max would kind of sweep up these technical oscars and i thought I that was so foolish that was my predictions oh 
woman. Sorry, that, that should have right. made that clearer. Why, yeah. like, why would anyone doubt that Mad Max well, is I mean, definite, maybe puts a little pressure on there, but... I think there's definitely a way that people vote and they're like, well, I put out Mad Max for all this other stuff, so maybe I'll give visual effects to Star Wars or something like that. But it didn't go that way because people really had strong affection for Mad Max. It honestly made me kind of surprised that we didn't see wins for it further up top because there's so much affection for it. What do you, what do you think? It, was there anything that should have topped Mad Max in these categories? Um, uh, you can make I was thinking arc- about Cinderella because I know that that Cinder- one was uh, Cinderella pushing hard. Amazing costumes. I mean, that's a, it, they're so hard to compare. Like, and I'm so happy with the innovation of Mad Max that I don't really want it to have won. But Cinderella was incredible for costumes. They made her dress out of fucking Swarsi crystals. Yes. Yeah, it was insane. Uh, Sandy. I mean, I, I believe that Sandy Powell was nominated for Carol. And as well as, as well as Cinderella, yeah. And Sandy Powell looked fantastic on the red carpet. Yes, she um, did. I saw her in person. That was exciting. She looked yeah. just as much like David Bowie in person as she did on television. <laughs> um, so I would have liked to have seen that win, particularly when it was clear that Mad Max had plenty of below-the-line trophies to... Yeah, uh, but uh, that gif of Jenny Beaven walking down the aisle and those dudes looking shocked by her not dress- wearing a dress was pretty great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I see. I Nobody wants more to assume the worst about Alejandro Gonzalez and <laughs> and whoever else was was at, sitting there with their arms crossed. And the body language does seem pretty clear, but I'm always really hesitant about sort of projecting, uh, you know, your assumptions of what's going on in somebody's head when they don't know they're being filmed and yes, et cetera. No, cetera. I, I agree. I don't uh, think that people are clapping for people walking down the aisle as much as we think they are. Like, yeah, I mean, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening in that moment. You know, I don't know. But I don't want to give him shit about it. Actually, uh, I but I did think that that woman was awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's badass. The best have... part of my Oscars was you can stream the like live feed of the audience <laughs> on ABC.com. Oh. oh, wow. So while the show was going on, it was a few se- It was like five seconds behind. But when it, whenever it went to commercial breaks, you could keep watching people mull around, which is how I got all my perfect photos of Matt Damon eating Thin Mints, uh, which I'll store <laughs> forever. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the demeanor in the room is, is very interesting. I don't think it's just hooting and hollering every single time. Although that clip is pretty damning. That clip it, I, it is, but is I, don't want to, I don't want to say with any certainty. But, yeah, it doesn't look great. Um, <laughs> I, I cried twice during this Oscars. I, I, I got a wow. little teary eyed. Oh. One was for a Neo Morricone and the original oh. score. Everyone was standing. It was a beautiful moment. They totally deserved, too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it wasn't the best score of the year, but you can't say that a Neo Morricone doesn't yes, deserve yes. Carter for a Carter Oscar. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Carter, Carter, Bur- Carter Borwell, though, now that he's been nominated, I'm hoping that means he'll just uh, show up a lot. He broke the seal. Yeah, was that yeah. Like, threshold like what Lubeski did. Like for a long time, Lubeski wasn't getting nominated. Now he's won three goddamn Oscars. So he's nominated. I think Lubeski was nominated three times before he was ever awarded. So he got nominated. What are you talking about? I, and I think there are. Th- hang on, I'm going to look this up because I feel like there's a sense that he there are things he didn't get nominated for that he deserved. Meet Joe Black. No, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, he was nominated for Sleepy Hollow. I 100 percent know that. Um, his first well, anyway. Well, I was just going to say that the other time that I wept was um, when Sam Smith sang "Writings on the Wall." Because mm-hmm. goddamn, that's just the writings yeah. on the wall. Na, 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 Wait, why did you weep after that? You got cut off by something. Uh, <laughs> I, for the exact reasons I got cut off, it's just screechy nonsense. I do okay. not like this song, and I can't warm up to it. You know, don't really it's not great. It's such a bad song. I like it more than most people. I have to say, I listened to it a dozen times for this article i wrote about all the bond songs and it grew on me um sam smith stockholm syndrome a little bit of a problem last night (laughs) yeah can we talk about that like shit how okay so sam smith gets up there and says i think ian mckellen said that no openly gay man had ever won an oscar so if that's true just do your homework it's such an easy like like everyone in America heard that. I was like, that can't be true. But even if it's true, like, why are you mentioning it, Sam Smith? So that you are you making a statement like, bravo, you've done it. I mean, I feel like why, if it were why true, try and that, somehow, that would be incredible. Like he's the first openly gay person to win an Oscar. That's great. But it's not true. Like Elton John, of among many others, has an Oscar. That's incredibly easy to find out. I Especially just, I in just... that category. Why you would, in front of the entire world, say something that critical that you were that uncertain about 
<laughs> blows my mind. The fallout, <laughs> the fallout was even better. I mean, having Dustin Lance Black yeah. after him on what Twitter. What was that about? About well, talking like, to his boyfriend? Black, like, texting his boyfriend all the time. Like, Dustin Lance Black, it's not really about you either, but I right, mean, he, did right. deserve, he did deserve to be like, hello, I also won an Oscar. I, I don't know. I, I am not uh, I am not in deep in gay Twitter as many of my gay Twitter followers will apparently claim. I mean that is a thing, gay Twitter, and everyone was having a meltdown about gay Twitter, and then gay Twitter crossover with Oscar Twitter, and then Dustin Lance Black being the like ray of sunshine and cloud of darkness all at once, and it was incredible. To watch. <laughs> Wait, gay Twitter and Oscar Twitter are different Twitter. <laughs> yeah, say, that should be a pretty strong overlap. I can't. I cannot say for sure. I will not assess that uh, that overlap. There actually, is there is a one to one correlation between gay Twitter and Oscar Twitter on my Twitter feed. Uh, I will say. Usually, uh, gay Twitter is not in support of D- Dustin Lance Black either, which but made that whole thing very interesting. It was no a- one who's watched a movie in their lives is supportive of Dustin Lance. Hey, Milk is a good movie. How much he wrote that script is up for debate. Yeah. Really? I mean, I think that's been the idea because everything he's made since then has not been particularly yeah. good. And him and Dustin and Sant, I just learned through following his Twitter for the last twenty four hours, are making another. They're making a mini series about something adjacent to Milk, like something about gay rights and uh, eight hours of television together. Oh. He's writing. I mean, He's I mean we all saw Jay Edgar. So, yikes! I forgot about that one. Second <laughs> yeah. uh, Jay Edgar reference on this podcast. You know, we we touched uh, upon it talking about the Vanity Fair party, but the ex machina visual effects win was pretty huge. I like yelped when that happened. I was very surprised. Yeah, I think we amazing. talked about this before on the podcast just about how we never get to see the best visual effects films really win this category because it's usually the most visual effects mm-hmm. in a movie but here's something with subtle touch and uh, and no one predicted it. It beats Star Wars. It didn't beat just like <laughs> like an X-Men movie or something. It beat Star Wars. Yeah, it beat BB-8. Like that yeah. alone. No, wait. I heard you mention this on Little Go Men too. BB-8 is not a visual effect. Wait, how? It's it's a special effect. Like it doesn't have to be computer to be a visual effect. Is it production design? No, BB-8. As far as I know, BB-8 would definitely be a visual effect. Really? So visual effects is not just computer. I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. I wouldn't Sam Smith that. Like I wouldn't go up in front of the world and say for certainty that BB-8 is a special effect. But I'm that's actually what BB-8 was up there saying last night. We just. <laughs> I'm pretty you confident. You BB, can understand there was, him and his boobs. BB-8 is as much a visual effect as Ava is in Ex Machina. Yeah. He's uh, yeah, already the best puppet. visual effect has existed, like, since King Kong. Like, was King Kong a visual effect? Are you old Hollywood-splaining me? Was Alien a visual effect? <laughs> Love is the I mean, only I'm, real visual effect. <laughs> 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 Uh, explaining you and looking at all the other things that have won in this category. Was E.T. special? How about E.T.? Was E.T. a visual effect? Yes. I mean, I guess guess you're right. I guess the the puppetry counts. I'm wrong. I take it all back. (laughs) Did you get the the final count for Lubezki? What is his uh, Oscar tango that he's danced over the years? He's won three times. This is legendary now, but he was a failure to begin with. He's the well. He's the first to win uh, three times in a row, which is crazy. well. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he is definitely not Walt Disney. Uh, first cinematographer is yes, it. yes. Walt Disney. You're just just like Sam Smith. It's unbelievable. You got to qualify. Same uh, thing. Walt, yeah. Walt Disney won like a zillion in a row, and then all oh, of the sure. Lord of the Rings special effects teams won three in a row. It's true, uh, but yeah, he's the first to win three in a row in this category, and he had been nominated. Uh, five previous times. Wow! For uh, Tree of Life, Children of Men, The New World, Sleepy Hollow, and A Little Princess. And uh, Children of Men, I remember being really angry about, in particular, because that movie is really beautifully shot. I don't know. Tree of Life is pretty. The Tree of Life. Also. What did Tree of Life lose to? Uh, I'm gonna look this up right now. Let's all I'll get back to you while we talk about whether or not he deserved it. I hate it. how Sleepy Hollow looks. Just while we're all talking about good things. <laughs> the cinematography about- category is pretty fucking amazing this year, I have to say. John Seal. I thought it, I thought he oh, might uh, take it. So Children of Men lost to Pan's Labyrinth, which, uh-huh. uh, I don't know, interesting argument. And then Tree of Life lost to Hugo. David, you have to account for that one. Tree of Life lost to Hugo? 
for cinematography? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I really want to go to bat for that. I love Hugo, but what are you going to do? Well, I think well, something, the real blend of CG and and real sets, that's a selling point. What, Lubeski just got up there with his camera and swirled in just, circles. He just bounced it. at Come nature on. and filmed it and done. Look, if I had a camera and Brad Pitt, I could make that fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we get to see if Roger Deakins, uh, when the hell he's ever going to win. Oh, man, I, I love that too, So I love that bit in the fake Compton sketch about the woman saying you know, what was her favorite white movie of the year. <laughs> she said, Pie the Sea with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Chris Rock was like, I don't even think they would say that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a movie. It's uh, a white movie. So, it's like the whitest movie yeah. <laughs> of Wait, last year. Before, before we get to the big awards here, I'm I, curious there's a fun bit of trivia here that about film editing um yeah usually whoever wins film editing wins best picture often but not always isn't it hasn't been well birdman wasn't nominated okay in editing which is Uh like thank god i would (laughs) have i mean it had editing it's the last nomination. You don't need to look back to that time, when you, David. No. Don't go back to that time. Yeah, Katie, please don't take me back to the dark place. I'm not going back to room, okay? Actually, you can take me to the door, but I'm not stepping inside. Goodbye, Birdman. It, uh, it hasn't won. It hasn't correlated in the last three years, actually. It's been Mad Max, Whiplash, and Gravity. That's interesting. And then before that, it was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and The Social Network. Argo is the only one this decade that matched up with Best Picture. So, so it's actually crazy. It's like... Oscar prognosticators are all about claiming that film editing. Well, the nomination makes a big difference. If you're not like Spotlight being nominated for best film editing really indicated how much they liked it. But the win doesn't always match up. I see. I see. I see. Well, Spotlight did win for screenplay. It only yeah. won for screenplay, right? Yeah, well, it, it, won the first, it won the first award of the night and the last award of the night and nothing between. That's crazy. It is crazy. And that's all preferential ballot mumbo-jumbo, right? Like, well, are, we, are we getting there yet? Are we doing... I mean, it's kind of tied to this, right? Like, if you only... What other movies have only won one other Oscar? There uh, were a the bunch, yeah. The last one to do it was The Greatest Show on Earth in 1953. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't know what, what did it before that. Oscar is awful. <laughs> I mean, I think it's an indication of it being a more... De- thing else. I mean, the preferential ballot definitely has a role in it. Like, that's where you're ranking your choices, not just picking the one in the best picture category. So kind of what, what you rank number two can matter a lot. Um, but I think that's just more about like people really like spotlight, but there wasn't an obvious other place to give it an award. And people liked a lot of other movies too. Kind of, I don't know. It makes sense to me. So this is my big question for you guys. We had so many different winners this year. Spotlight, uh, big short wins for adapted screenplay. You have um, Alicia Vikander and Brie Larson winning for Room and Danish Girl, which don't win any other awards. And then you have uh, Revenant, actor-director, and then Spotlight again in Best Picture. You have It's so diverse. Does that mean the movies are better and we want to pick lots of different things to, to celebrate? Or is it better when we have, like, a Lord of the Rings Return of the King? Like, this is the truly the best film of the year. It's sweeping every category. It is the definition of great cinema. Um, is no, is that like better I like, trend? I like this better because I feel like it's a rising tide raising all ships instead of, like, a pinnacle or paramount of filmmaking efforts uh, in a year like this. I mean, it's not because none of these movies are bad movies. It's not like you have something that I would like be super mad like if when Crash won Best Picture. Uh, they're all they're all well, except for Bridge of Spies, which I haven't seen, but they're all you know good movies. I think. We but have, true, like, but Spotlight wide... is kind of winning Best Picture because it's the number two on many ballots, right? It's, it's, yeah, well, you, we right. think uh... we think that, but we don't know, right? But. But nobody, you know, this is this is how it's gone in the past few years. I mean, I mean, Birdman is a possible exception because that was a little bit more polarizing. But uh, in the prefer in the age of the preferential ballot, the movie that most people like well enough will win. It's- I don't know. I like I like spreading wealth. I think if there's an obvious masterpiece that like needs to be like honored by history, then it's useful and it wins more awards. But I don't think we really had any of those this year. Spotlight's a very modest movie. I think it's I, you know, the the most deserving winner of the pack that got in there. But I don't know. It didn't. I don't feel like it needed to win anything else to prove that it's really good. I I, I mean, in theory, I'm 
I'm with you. But I, I love the idea of something so grand that we just want to throw everything at it. Something I mean, me too. Really I love great. I love Titanic. Like, that was my first Oscars that I really paid attention to. So that thrilled me. But, you know, I think every year is different. And finding something like that is maybe even more difficult these days. So, so were you crushed or elated that Mark Rylance won uh, over Stallone? It was, a, it was an upset, huge upset. Yeah, I mean, it, it hurt my Oscar pool for a minute there. But I don't know, Mark Rylance is an incredibly deserving actor. And he seemed, like, I had thought he'd be like a, you know, a New York theater guy who'd just like, go back and not really give a shit. But he seems so happy to have won. Yeah, I mean, I can't yeah. wait to see what Marvel character he's going to play. Um, <laughs> Mark, Mark Rylance is, is a, I would say a national treasure, but that would be inaccurate. Uh, an international treasure. Frank Stallone can kiss my ass. You know, good. He's very for, upset. Yeah. Comes off like a real schmuck, but good for uh, it. Just makes me happier that Stallone lost. The other Stallone, uh, who was the least interesting element of Creed, and the least deserving of the major players to be there. Mark Rylance is a champion. Should have told Spielberg not to repeat that that line about how this is your gift. At what, the if, end. what if he improvised it? You don't even know. Yeah, well, in that case, fuck him and fuck his Oscar. But <laughs> give it to Frank Stallone. Yeah, give it to Frank Stallone. Um, I don't think anyone can really argue with Alicia Vikander and Brie Larson. I hope. There, well, maybe David can because he wants Carol up there. Well, I mean, yeah, let's let's not bore people too much. I mean, yes, obviously I would have – I think the Carol performances are head and shoulders above anything else here. But uh, Brie Larson was fantastic and Alicia Vikander did miraculous work to to make that movie. No one has it from – I've seen that movie. Right. Uh, Good movie. No, the Oscars. Danish girl? The Oscars. It's, Danish it's, girl? it's fine. complicated, complicated movie. Um, but she She's does beautiful work in it. And then there's the movie, yeah, may, the movie may not deserve her performance, but it is supporting category fraud, which is just going to continue to be a problem. That you can win a supporting actress trophy, basically no matter how big your part is at this point. Is that because of would would that happen to a man? Oh uh, yeah, it happens to men all the time. Oh well, then never mind. <laughs> Category fraud is such a—it's like it, it sounds like it's a real crime, and not like I know. Not, no, like it's not a real stupid. crime. They're going to jail for. Category I mean, the, the supportive wife role that winds up being supporting actress like that happens more often for actresses. But yeah, category. I mean, Jacob Tremblay was being promoted for best supporting actor, which is ridiculous. Jacob Tremblay should go to jail for being wasted all the time. Um, I heard Tom Hooper was bragging for getting three actresses into uh, getting getting three actresses Oscars. That's he was taking a lot of pride in that. Wait, Anne Hathaway. Uh, yeah, Alicia Vikander and yeah, someone from The King's Speech won an Oscar. That was a woman. I don't know. I thought so. No, no. It must just be three. No, must just be three actors in general. Oh. I mean, hey, if I were Tom Hooper, I would brag about that left and right because it would yeah, be sure. it'd be very easy to land people to star in your next movie. Like, hey, yes, the movie will probably be a piece of shit, but like, you'll get an Oscar. <laughs> I will frame you to the corner of Oscar time, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm fine with this win. <laughs> The Revenant is fine. Oh, right. You love The Revenant. There are like 12 other movies out. he should have won for, but the man the man has had a brilliant career. He's made great choices every step of the way. He looked very happy. I, I, I felt his joy. He's always good. You could not have told me that, you know, if, if you looked at anyone in 1997 after Titanic came out, and you're like, this wooden heartthrob, who was very good in Titanic for what that role is, is going yeah. to only star with the exception of an Ed Zwick movie and that one Ridley Scott movie that nobody remembers uh, in like exclusively interesting slash very good slash occasionally brilliant movies with again, major, major... Jay Edgar. You were for- oh, sorry. I'm forgetting Jay Edgar. Uh, but then again, like, if you were like, David, here's a m- several million dollars to play Jay Edgar for Clint Eastwood... Like, I wouldn't sure. even read a script. I'd no, be like, yes. That's a great choice on paper. It just doesn't um, over. No. I mean, if I, then I would have opened the script and seen that Dustin Bland, Lance Black wrote it, and I would have been like, fuck. <laughs> um, but Leonardo DiCaprio has had one of the best careers of any living American actor right now. I hope this uh, starts a new trend of 90s Tiger Beat covers. 
cover stars God. to win Oscars. I hope Jonathan Taylor Thomas gets his Oscar. Yes, yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas return performance. I hope Ryder Strong gets his uh, his Oscar soon. I hope all of Hanson gets their Oscar soon. Uh-huh. I hope uh-huh. that Leonardo DiCaprio uh, makes a comedy or two. It'd be nice to see him lighten up again. I, you know, I don't understand this complaint. I've seen many yeah. people say, okay, you got your Oscar, Leo. Now go back to making fun movies. Like, no, he never made fun movies. He's but funny. Like, he want, what do people want? Like, Wolf of Wall Street just showed like how good he can be when he's being funny and loosening up. He was nominated. Wolf of Wall Street is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is hilarious, and he is hilarious in it. He's also very funny, if also unsettling, in Django Unchained. Um, for which I believe he was nominated, right? Yes. No, he was not. Which really? Is crazy. Whoa. Yeah, if he'd been nominated that year, he probably would have won a supporting actor Oscar, which would have been really Wait, weird. How, he's been nominated four times. Am I correct? He was nominated for Gilbert Grape. He was he's nominated, nominated for in, Blood Diamond. I, I was going to let you test yourself. Okay. You, you, you missed one in the middle. Uh, uh, wait. Gilbert Grape? Yeah. Something between that and Blood Diamond? Yep. Oh shit! I don't know. I guess so. He wasn't nominated for Wolf. Show Wolf. me all the blueprints. Oh, aviator. Show me all the blueprints. He wasn't nominated for Titanic. Nope. No. And he can go to the Oscars that year. Okay, uh, so Blood Diamond, Wolf of Wall Street, and uh, oh, it was yeah, the Aviator. Yeah, the, the aviator. so that was the four times. Yeah, and then this. Show me all the blueprints. 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 We're not going to end there. Spotlight. Best picture. Wait, we didn't do director. Oh, yeah, director. Oh, I, I guess I was skipping it. Yeah, but I mean, do we, do we even have to? <laughs> in your two, one director. He has two in a row. It's do you think strange. Lubezki will make his own movie to prove that it's pro- he's probably doing most of the work? He directs commercials, too. Do you really think Inurito is a bad director? I don't really understand what he does. <laughs> I mean, he directs a movie like anybody else. It seems like I I hear him talk about movies, and he's like, "I didn't want any cuts." Okay, great. It it seems like in this movie, he might have been a little overboard in putting needless constraints that might have occasionally made it more difficult on people to make the movie look good. Says me. I mean. I wasn't Whatever. on your guys' review episode, so there, there's that. I like the it fine. I, I would not have given this, given him this award. I and then Spotlight. <laughs> okay. Spotlight won Best Picture. Can I say, what I liked about Spotlight winning Best Picture was that in a, a, an Oscar year that was defined by confronting sort of institutional injustice. Uh, and it was a movie that was effectively, you know, of all the white, populated films that were nominated within the, within those choices. They picked a film that was about the very thing the Oscars were thematically centered on, and I thought that was very appropriate. And about how a world of only white people can be incredibly blind to things that are right in front of them. Yeah, that it, it takes an outsider, in the case of Spotlight, a Jew, <laughs> um, as opposed oh, to... Oh, so you like Spotlight because it's good for the Jews, I see. I tend to see Spotlight as a Western about a Jew who blows into <laughs> Boston... This outsider just like rides into town with the wind and is like, only I can bring, they can see what's happening in the city and, and bring change. And then I just wish that they had included the postscript that Lee Schreiber's character left Boston very shortly after the, the events of the movie concluded. It was very much a, yeah, why don't they no walk Jimbo into the sunset? situation? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, did he Today, leave to go we, live in a ranch across the border with his uh, with his Mexican girlfriend? Yeah, he went to another fucking newspaper somewhere. But damn, <laughs> I like your ending better. Wait, didn't he go to the Post, Washington Post? Yeah. Well, spotlight one, Oscar so khaki. The end. I uh, mean, Keaton. <laughs> I, do you guys think the spotlight is the choice that will reflect just fine in the future? And yes. we'll be proud yeah, of someone episode. was asking yeah. me if we'll like ever come back to Spotlight. Or actually, our colleague Kyle Buchanan of Vulture was saying this is the one that'll prevail. We'll, like, we'll keep thinking what a good pick it was years later. I'm not sure it will glow that hard, but if it becomes kind of a journalism staple, if it becomes um, all, the men. all the President's Men, and we watch this to remind ourselves why we need Actually, Jay Rosen, the um, journalism famed journalism professor at NYU, was saying that 
the spotlight win is actually really depressing because all sorts of journalists were like, yay, everyone go sign up for a newspaper. This is like, this is a great day for journalists. They're the heroes. Finally, look at this great work that we do. And Jay Rosa was like, yeah, you did do it. This is, you know, spotlight is a historical story. It is not present day journalism in any shape or form. Yeah. And this art is dying and it's, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there were tweets from like Boston Globe staffers last night. They were like, we're still here. We make no money. Um, but the uh, – what was I going to say? Yeah, I, I don't think any of these movies that were nominated were really going to be like the Schindler's List, you know, like they were really going to sparkle for all time. Um, but, you know, Carol clearly would have, but not nominated. <laughs> uh, but uh, I believe that. I mean, I think people will look back, certainly like the slant magazines of the world and whatnot, will look back and be like, 2015 was the year that Carol came out and everything else was sort of secondary. Uh, I think that's true. Um, I'm hoping you forget Carol. Jesus. Good luck. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that Spotlight was definitely the, the most flattering choice the Academy could have made for themselves. Whoa. With that sick burn, guess that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> Thanks for watching the Oscars, everybody. We won't talk about them again for one week. six months. <laughs> good, <laughs> good God. Yeah, until the uh, Oscar campaign for Gods of Egypt begins. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Best. start by sending Alex Proyas into the sun. Best <laughs> God spaceship. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back later this week to talk about the Knight of Cups. I need to understand Los Angeles through the eyes of those who have seen it. The Knight of Cups! Yeah, that's, that's the theme song, I think. <laughs> um, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you can share, you can leave questions that we might read. You can leave comments that we'll definitely read, or you can leave Oscar predictions for uh, 2017. It's never too early. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am a staff writer at Rolling Stone, and you can also read my review of Night of Cups on Slate once I write it. Uh, and you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write at latino-review.com and geek.com. And uh, also this week we will be coming back to talk about Game of Thrones with a Storm of Spoilers podcast. You could find those back episodes at fightingintheworm.com slash gotspoilers. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com, where there's so much coverage of the Oscars and our party. A lot of fun photos to see. Please look at them. Um, And I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where we'll talk to you and each other and about this week's lightning round question, which was... Instead of the biggest winner snub, who was the person or thing snubbed at the nomination phase that still pisses you off? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. It helps to think we're sleeping